0: Please be seated. God calls us now through a time of fellowship through the words of the prophet Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. I remember as a youngster, my mom telling me that the changes in this life often come suddenly and change our lives permanently. Many of these changes bring joy to our life. For example, marriages and the birth of children. Others, as Habakkuk is relating to us, are sorrowful. We wake up to the realization that we are what we would call dumicated and that we are unable to solve the problem on our own. We really need a savior. And we come, when we come to this point in our lives that we realize there's nothing we can do about it and that we need a redeemer, we find that God's word is what brings us real comfort. And that's what Habakkuk is talking about here. Though all these things can be disastrous, we have a God's word who brings life and renewal in our lives. And this morning... Allow God's word to be your strength and your comfort in this life.
1: Come of God, turn with me, if you would, to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20 will be the text that we're on this morning, and uh, it's a a continuation of what we saw last time, so some of this will be review, um, but nevertheless, Lord willing, it'll be also um, sweet fellowship with Christ. Numbers chapter 20 is the text where Moses is striking that rock, you may recall. I'm going to read the text again, 2 through 13, and then we'll fellowship together around it. Let me ask you to stand together as I read God's word. Hear now the word of our Lord. And there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts uh, to die here? And why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to, uh, to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord... "'appeared to them. "'And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "'Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, "'assemble the congregation, "'and speak to the rock before their eyes, "'that it may yield its water. "'You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, "'and let the congregation and their beasts drink.' "'So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, "'just as he had commanded him. "'And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, "'and he said to them, "'Listen now, you rebels,' Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he proved himself holy amongst them. Thus, far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege you've given us now to be here, to fellowship around your word, and Lord, we pray by your grace to see Christ by faith, and to fellowship with you, O oh Lord, and to rejoice in you. Lord, to hear your word, to be uh, committed uh, uh, to you, to be uh, confronted, to be humbled, to be built up. Lord, bless this time. Grow your people, grow us in our faith and comfort and hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we continue again a, a, a passage that we began last week in which Moses... In um, uh, having brought his people up to um, this place, this well watered oasis, what was anticipated, um, brings them there, and, and there's no water there, and so he strikes a rock and brings forth water. Now we know that this is at the end of 40 years of wilderness wandering. So this is not during the wilderness. This is at the very end. They've been in the wilderness now for 40 years. And in the process of this, we, can come, we, we uh, conclude at least two um, uh, universal uh, uh, constants during this time. One was the people of God during this 40 years were, were frequently angry and upset at Moses, attacking him, uh, um, addressing him, calling him names, accusing him, blaming him. And the second universal observation that we can say that was pretty much a a characteristic of this time was that Moses nevertheless brought his concerns, all these burdens, all their accusations, he brought them to the Lord. Psalm 91, though not written by Moses, although possibly written by Moses, the words are very close to Psalm 90, which was written by Moses, nevertheless re, uh, reflects Moses' heart during this 40 years. He says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That was Moses' disposition. It was trusting God through it all, laying all the burdens and the hardships at the feet of Christ, at the feet of God. Lord, they're not attacking me, they're attacking you. He understood that until our text. Forty years into it, Moses in Numbers chapter 20 has this um, spiritual crisis he, instead of taking the burdens of the, of the people and bring them to Christ, rather he takes them personally, as we'll see, and he responds thus in anger. And yet, as we look at this passage, it's quite un- understandable. I, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I go, man, I'm on Moses' side. I'm on Moses' team here. Uh, first and foremost, you've got God's people grumbling and grumbling for 40 years. If that's not bad enough, in our text, they go one step deeper. In our text, recall, they actually tell Moses, verse 3, we wish we had died in Korah's rebellion. If only we had died in that a rebellion, life would have been so much better for us. We'd rather be dead than alive and following you. Man, talk about a deep, uh, a low blow. And then secondly, another thing that we notice about, about this context, and that is that, you know, when God called Moses, he gave him a tool of ministry. And that tool was the staff. Listen to um, Exodus 4. God told Moses, you shall, you shall take in your hands the staff with which you shall perform the signs. So God told Mo, uh, we know from the very beginning, God gave him the staff to perform signs. And it was with that staff that Moses used to perform miracles. He, he struck the Red Sea with the staff and it parted. In fact, when he, and shortly after that, he comes to Rephidim. Now this is 40 years before our, our text. And there, once again, there was no water. Things were difficult. And so what did he do? He took his staff and he struck a rock twice. Listen to Exodus 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand your staff with which you will, with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So up to this point, God's people are being just super nasty here. And Moses, in his defense, has used this rod on how many occasions to perform miracles? So when he comes and strikes the rock, yes, he doesn't speak to it like God tells him to. This, this very, what, you, what we might call an insignificant difference, he struck it. Nevertheless, that's something he'd been doing for 40 years. And yet, we come here in verse 12, and it's Moses and Aaron who get disciplined. And we ask ourselves, why doesn't God discipline his people? They're the horrible ones here. And the answer is, we saw this last week, he is disciplining them. That's what the wilderness wandering was all about. They're in discipline. They're under discipline. God, God gave them Moses and, as a shepherd through this time. But nevertheless, they're under the discipline of the Lord. If there's anyone not acting in character, it's Moses here. And so Moses does get discipline. And we know that discipline comes out of love. And so this is a good thing that Moses was disciplined. But nevertheless, Moses is the one acting out of incredibly different character than he's been for 40 years leading God's people. And that brought us then last week to Moses' sin. And let me just review that with you very quickly. Numbers chapter 20, verse 10, we read, of Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock and said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of the rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand, struck the rock twice with his rod, and the water came forth. As I mentioned last time, we don't know the specific rebellion or the specific um, um, activity of Moses that was that was unacceptable. There's a lot of dispute around this passage. Was it that he struck it? There's a lot of commentaries saying that wasn't it. Um, so what was it? We don't know, but we do know at least three things. One it, it is that one Moses took God's uh, a people's um, attack personally. Right? We see in verse four. Why then have you brought us brought the Lord's assembly and then verse 5 why have you clearly the people were attacking Moses blaming Moses for the horrible state in which they were in Moses it's your fault not God's they're not thinking vertically they're all thinking horizontally which is what we we tend uh, to do more uh, Moses you've made our life miserable we wish we were dead and Moses in on his part also took it personally we notice in verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. He said to them, listen now, shall we bring forth water for you from the lock? And then he hit it. So clearly Moses here, perhaps for the first time, we don't know, but he is taking the attack of the assembly personally. Secondly, we note here, not only was he taking it personally, but he was also it angered him. He's acting out of anger. Notice verse, uh, verse 10. He says, listen now, you rebels. Now, on the, the surface, there's nothing wrong with that statement. God's people were being rebels here, clearly. But how do we know, therefore, that this is a problem? Well, because of Psalm 106. Psalm 106, describing the same incident, um, tells us that Moses, quote, spoke rashly with his lips. In the Hebrew, the idea behind that is Moses spoke out of anger. Moses is not being driven by God. He's not being driven by faith. He's being driven by his flesh at this point. What the people said angered him. He took it personal. It made him angry. And now he's responding out of anger. He's ministering in anger and violence. Listen now, you rebels. He is upset, obviously. Um, Daniel Amestus, I think I read this uh, last week, Moses may have rationalized his response as righteous indignation, similar to that of Phineas, but but it actually was a rash, angry, sinful retort. Rather than staying under control, Moses let his emotions affect his speech. On the whole, Moses' life was characterized by meekness, but in this case, he failed in what was typically his area of strength. So he's lost it. So rather than being satisfied with God's approval as he always had been, God is the one speaking. Go back to Rephidim in in, in Exodus uh, 17. God said, I will be at the rock. I'll be there. Moses knew that. Rather than trusting that God, at this point, Moses unfortunately took the people's complaints personally and so lashed out at the congregation. And why was that? Why did he do that? Why is, he, why is he so out of character here? Well, verse 12 tells us. Sec, uh, thirdly, Moses was dissatisfied with God. Notice verse 12. But the Lord said to, to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me, that's the key phrase, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. That brings the whole issue in uh, to a focus. Moses' sin, brothers and sisters, is not simply striking the rock. It may or may not, we don't know. But this, we do know, Moses, on his part, was forsaking God here. This is Moses forsaking God as a minister. Um, He no longer was trusting or relying upon the Lord. Um, He was forsaking God. Remember what the the word belief means. He was not believing. What's that word mean? It means to rely. It means to trust. At its base, it it speaks of dependence, reliance, resting, right? Right? And that's our theological-based definition, but it means a whole lot more than that because it also is, therefore, exclusive. If you're relying upon this, then you're not relying upon anything else. So faith or believing is exclusive. You can't rely upon mammon and God, right? You'll either serve the one and hate the other, vice versa. um, It's exclusive. Well, Moses here had stopped believing God, stopped resting upon God. And what do we mean by that? Not just simply in theory, he stopped relying upon God's goodness. When we talk about trusting God, we're talking about trusting his character, his person, who he is. Moses at this point, God's goodness was not enough for him. God's praise was not enough for him. God's pardon was not enough for him. God's power was not enough uh, for him. He rather wanted the praises and the adulation of the people, Christ God no longer was enough for him. And all this speaks ultimately of Moses's satisfaction, right? All this is uh, review. Moses at this point lost his satisfaction in God. He was no longer satisfied with God, right? He wanted, he wanted. The people's praises, that would make him satisfied. He wanted the people's compliment. That would make him satisfied. He wanted them to stop giving him a hard time. That would make him satisfied. Listen to Romans chapter 5, 6. I want you to see how satisfaction and faith are one and the, the same. Christ said on the, on the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now that's a faith act. You are hungry and thirsting for the righteousness of Christ. If you, are, if you are ones who are, who are longing for, trusting, believing, resting upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ, notice what the text says. They shall be satisfied. You know that phrase, right? Satisfaction is the result of faith. Now, what is satisfaction? You know what the root of satisfied, of satisfied is? Sated. It's a word used in the context of food, both in the Hebrew and the Greek. To be sated is to be so full, so satisfied with what you've got, you don't desire, nor do you want, nor do you need, nor do you take anything else. A sated man at a meal is someone who is, who is offered another bite. I don't want any more. What I have, what I've eaten is all that I want, all that I need. I cannot have one more bite. That's a satisfied man. Thus, Christ says, brothers and sisters, if you're satisfied, if you believe me, you'll be satisfied. If you trust me, you'll be satisfied. And what that means, brothers and sisters, is that if you and I are trusting Jesus Christ, we only want Christ's approval, Christ's provision, Christ's um, purpose for our lives, Christ's plan for our lives. That's what we want. That's to be satisfied with Christ. But, um, and that is the picture of God's people. Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. So to be someone who's living in faith in Christ, you don't want anything other than God. Fellowshiping with him, knowing him, trusting him, following his plan for your life. That's all that you want. Yet, brothers and sisters, in the passage before, uh, before us, clearly that was not Moses. At this moment in his life, Christ was not enough. God's grace, love, protection, or opinion became secondary to how the people thought, respected, and so reacted uh, to Moses. And so this leader, in anger, struck the rock as a a public demonstration of his power and ability. Yes, he disobeyed God's uh, command, but the transgression ultimately was not that. The transgression was his dissatisfaction with God. All right, that's all summary. That's all I'll review. That's what we saw last week. That's what what his problem was. That's why God's disciplining him. He ceased to be satisfied with Christ alone. Now, brothers and sisters, we all would say here, is Christ your satisfaction? Yes. Is he all that you need? Yes. Are you living like that? How do you know? And if you're not, Why not? Why aren't you living satisfied in God? How would you know if you're not? Brothers and sisters, the next part, part C, answers both of those questions. It's God's application. Because the Bible contains two prominent passages which reference Numbers chapter 20, and God uses to exhort God's people on a specific way. The first one is, would you notice with me, 1 Corinthians 10, turn me uh, there in your Bibles if you would. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moses' dissatisfaction occurred because he missed Christ. Why? Why, did he, why, was Moses, why was Moses not satisfied? Because, brothers and sisters, he missed Christ. Completely missed him at this moment. He forgot Christ. Notice 1 Corinthians 10 as a warning to all who might think that their spiritual activity, you know, going to church, reading the Bible is the reason why God would accept them. Paul gave this exhortation. I won't read the whole thing. I'm going to read up to the point that's germane for us. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the the same spiritual food, manna, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. All right, we're going to stop there. All right, in, in, in that day, in Paul's day, there was a, a, a tradition of Judaism that believed that the rock that Christ, or that Moses struck twice at Rephidim, that rock followed them everywhere God's people went in the wilderness. That's what was believed by tradition. So the rock that, that Moses struck At um, Jabesh Gilead, or, or, or where he is, I'm sorry, Kadesh Barnea. That rock that he struck there, 40 years later, was the same rock that he struck at Rephidim in Exodus 17. That's what was believed. Now we know biblically that that's wrong. Historically, that's not what happened. But that's what the that's what the lore, that's what the tradition was in Judaism. So Paul, it seems in this passage, seems to be saying that that was the case. He, he, they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. Is that what Paul's doing here? No. Paul is not agreeing with the tradition. He's correcting it. He's not saying that there was a literal rock. He's saying there was a rock that followed them, but it wasn't literal. That rock was Jesus Christ, none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, was the being in Exodus 17 where God says, I will stand on the rock and you will then speak or you will then strike it. That's Christ. And Moses, by faith, beheld that. Had to have. Trusting God. He's in the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. Moses, trusting Jesus Christ. Yet at this point, brothers and and sisters, Moses missed it. Moses forgot. Moses, he lost the big picture. He lost sight of Christ. He forgot the gospel. Truly, brothers and sisters, Moses' sin had very little to do with striking a rock or or speaking to it as if striking or speaking were morally important. Rather, it was a rejection of Christ by which he placed the people's opinion, approval, and praise above that of Christ's. Think about that. Why did Moses act the way that he did? Because, brothers and sisters, he was living according to his performance. Since he wasn't believing God, he had to believe something. He was was trusting himself. And thus, because he was trusting himself, he was was trying to suck the praises, the adoration from other people. That's always a problem in ministry. Because we're all performance-based in ministry, it's so easy to do the things that we do for man. Right? I I in my marriage, I do what I do for my wife or my husband to get them to say you're a good husband or spouse. As a parent, we do what we do, and we get upset when our kids don't give us praise. Or our kids, I do all of this stuff for our, our kids, and all they do is rebel. It's not enough. Mom, I didn't want this. That's the wrong color. And it angers us. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, at that moment we are seeking depending sucking if you will um on the praises of men and that's always the problem in ministry why anger's there why frustration because you and i are not living with the knowledge that jesus christ is enough let me put it this way imagine going home to whatever scene it is that 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 typically angers you and all of us have that maybe it's the office maybe it's home maybe it's at school Find that place that typically where you go, yeah, if there's, if there's going to be a time that I get annoyed, it's going to be that. Imagine that scene right now with Jesus Christ physically present. And imagine you going, man, I feel so overlooked, so unloved. And yet at that moment, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, not in his humble state, but in his, but in his glorified state, like on the Mount of Transfiguration, that being looking at you and saying, I love you. You are my delightful child. I care most for you. You are so wonderful. Imagine that. Do you think you'd be bothered by what typically bothers you? You wouldn't be. The fact that your spouse didn't recognize you, that they didn't compliment you. The fact that your boss overlooked you. The fact that your parents seem to always be so harsh. Brothers and sisters, if in that moment when your parents were being harsh and Jesus Christ were there telling you, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you think you'd give much credence, much weight to what your parent or name it said? You wouldn't. Now, that doesn't mean you, do, you don't listen to your parents' advice or your spouse's advice or on and on and on. But what it means is, what on what basis are you standing? What, are, what is it that's, that's um, um, jiving you? What is it that's, that's driving you? What is it? The praises of men or Christ? For Moses, it was the praises of men at this point. He lost it. And when, when you and I do this in ministry, you know what the result is? Resentment. Anger. Thoughts of, I'm done. I'm done with these people. You know, you rebels. Name-calling. A sense of abandonment. I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm going to wash my hands of it. Brothers and sisters, Dr. Rayburn, the, the founder of the seminary I went to, used to say these words when he was alive. There's no such thing as sin out for Christians, only burnout. I'm sorry. Let's change that. Reverse it. There's no such thing as burnout for Christians, only sin out. If I, as a minister of God's word, I'm preaching God's word, and I come to you and say, I'm burnt out of a preaching, Rayburn would say, then way down deep, somehow, someway, you are seeking something from the horizontal that you're not getting that you should be seeking from, from the vertical from God. That's why we burn out. That's why we tire out of ministry because we get sick and tired of how the horizontal treats us. Brothers and sisters, that was Moses. So the reason why we... Um, lose our satisfaction with God is because we lose sight of Christ. We lose sight of what Christ has done for us, of how he views us, of our position in his eyes, of the well done, thou good and faithful service promise given to us the moment we were justified, promised to us the moment we were justified, and culminating the, the moment that we're glorified. Brothers and sisters, when we lose sight of that, we become dissatisfied with the world Because we're dissatisfied with God. And the world will never give us what we want. And that's why we become dissatisfied with the world. Because it can never give us what only God can. So the first reason why Moses was dissatisfied, 1 Corinthians 10, is because he lost sight of the rock. He forgot Christ. He forgot the gospel. Secondly, how do you know if you're dissatisfied with God? You may be going, man, I am satisfied with God. How do you know the second passage is John seven. I want you to turn there, and that tell and that gives us the answer of how you know. John chapter seven, verse thirty-eight. Notice the text. This is the beginning of Christ's third year of, uh, of ministry during the Feast of Booths. John seven two. We know this is the Feast of Booths, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. Same feast. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast. So the culmination, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, so he's, he's, he's yelling this to the crowds. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, quote, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. All right, let me back up give the, the context so you, so you understand this is about our passage. This is the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Tabernacles, that occurred typically mid-October every year. Um, it was one of the three um, requisite feasts that every Jewish male had to attend in the Bible. The other one was Passover, and the other one was uh, Pentecost. Well, at this feast, um, something happened. It's a week-long feast, so, so uh, seven days. Uh, at this feast, every day of this feast, a priest would leave the, the temple with a big clay jar. He'd walk down into the city of Jerusalem to the pool of Siloam and he would fill up that pitcher. And the moment he filled up the the pitcher, of course, the crowds would be following him. The crowds would begin singing Isaiah 12, 3, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And then he'd bring that pitcher back to the temple mount, back to the temple, where he would then go to the right side or the left side, we're not sure which side it would be on, of the altar burnt offering. There would be this stand with a bowl in, in it. And this was a special stand because the bowl had a hole in it. And it drained at the bottom of the stand. So when you poured water into the bowl, water would flow out the the base. So this priest would take this large clay jar and he would pour the water into this bowl. And the water would then uh, come out as a picture of God um, um, giving water to his people as he did in the wilderness with the rock. So the so this ceremony was a ceremony in honor of Numbers chapter 20 or Exodus chapter 17, both of them. It's a celebration. How God in the wilderness, that's why it's the Feast of Booths. They all lived in booths. They lived in tents. They left. They, they acted like they were once again in the wilderness wandering. And for one week, they would camp out under the stars. And then every single day, they would be rejoicing and celebrating because God provided water for them during that time every single day well during the last time that this was going on while this was going on um and we don't know what part when when jesus did it but it wouldn't surprise me if jesus stood up the moment that the water was being poured and water was coming out the base of that stand jesus stood up and he spoke these words if any man is thirsty let him come to me and drink he who believes in me unlike moses from, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That's the water coming from the rock. If you believe in me, what will flow out of you is waters, um, I'm sorry, living waters. Now let me back up. Would you notice what he says here? Let him come to me and drink. Brothers and sisters, if you, have, if you, are, uh, if you are one trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then you are one who have come to Jesus Christ and drunk but he's not talking about a one-time thing. He's talking about a daily thing. Let him come to me and drink. You know what this is? This is is Christ saying, brothers and sisters, this is a picture of Christianity. It's you and I on a day-in and day-out basis relying upon Christ, not forgetting Christ as Moses did, but relying upon Christ. And not just in theory, but in reality, day and moment by moment, resting in his character, trusting his who he is, his promises, what he's done for you, what he's going to do for you, resting upon him. and then fellowshipping with him. That's the idea behind drinking. It's much more, more than just simply, intellectual. It is actually fellowshipping by faith, communing with Jesus Christ. As you do that on a daily basis. As you, therefore, feast upon this rock, if you will, the water that flows from this rock. Do you know what happens? From your innermost being flow rivers of living water. you know what happens when when Christ is no longer your satisfaction, when you stop drinking Jesus Christ? Living waters stop coming from you. The opposite is what? Dead waters come uh, from you. In other words, this. Let me put it uh, this way. In stark contrast to Numbers 20, it record, uh, this book, our, our passage records a time in Moses' life when rivers of water did not flow from him. What came out of his heart was not blessing, but cursing. And so it is when Christ is not enough for you and me. When you and I are not feasting upon Christ, when he is not our satisfaction, guess what comes out of us? That's how you know if Christ am I satisfied? is... Am I living in such a way that I'm satisfied with Christ? Well, just look at what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of your heart, what comes out of your mind. Ezekiel 16, speaking of God's coming to people, Moreover, you played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied with me. Brothers and sisters, when you're satisfied with Christ, you don't have to play play uh, the harlot with the Assyrians. What does that mean? That means striving to get get built up, encouraged, blessed from the horizontal, from your marriage, from your kids, from your bosses, from the world in which we live. Brothers and sisters, if you're not satisfied with God, you're going to seek to be satisfied in the horizontal, always. And it will always let you down. And when it lets you down, what comes out of your heart? Well, what came out of Moses' heart? What came out of Moses' heart was not waters of uh, living water. What came out of his heart? When you sup upon living waters, guess what happens? Living waters uh, come out. But when you don't sup upon living water, what uh, comes out? Your flesh. And for Moses, what came out of of Moses was anger, um, offense. Moses' trust shifted from the Lord to himself, in which he sought to derive satisfaction from a cistern that could hold no water. And the result, what came out of his life was not blessing but cursing, Accordingly, God's people were not confronted, rebuked, nor encouraged to trust and serve the Lord. All they received from the servant of God was his wrath. Amazing. How do you know if you're, if Christ, if you're being, if you're, if you are being satisfied in Christ, if Christ is your satisfaction, how do you know? Brothers and sisters, look what comes out. Look what typically comes out of your mouth, out of your heart, out of your mind. You may, you may be a really good Pharisee where everyone looks at you and says, man, you are the most wonderful person. But you know what's in your heart, typically. You know what comes out of your mind and out of your heart and how you view people. Brothers and sisters, if Christ is your satisfaction, guess what starts to come out of your, out of your life? A, a desire to bless. You see someone hurting. And rather than critiquing, rather than making fun Rather than, than, than going, pushing them down, what comes out is a, dire, is a desire to lift them up to Christ, that they might know him and love him and serve him. When a spouse is, is, shor- is short and mean, rather than being offended, a person who's satisfied with Christ's approval of them, who's satisfied with the fact that Jesus Christ loves me, and if you think of that in comparison to your spouse, I'll take that over over their love every time. If you're living in light of that love, you can take your spouse's uh, coarse words or difficult words or whatever, um, um, harsh words, and you can take them and place them, as Moses did for 40 years, at the foot of the cross. And say, Lord, they're hurting help them to grow. You can get outside of the horizontal and live in light of the vertical and live a a life where you become a minister. And so someone through whom living waters pour such that you bring the face infections of Jesus Christ. That's how, brothers and sisters. Now, you say, you can say, um, you know, you can look at this and, and you may respond and say, man, I that is not me clearly i'm not satisfied with christ i'm i'm you know i'm i'm a horrible person brothers and sisters that's the whole point you're not a horrible person in jesus christ you're a loved person um, so if you're saying that right now that tells me you need to hear the gospel again if you're thinking man i'm a horrible person cuz i'm not blessing brothers and sisters the whole point of the gospel is, yes, you are a horrible person and Jesus Christ loves you. He died on the cross in your place to take away your, your sin. So even though you and I might do horrible things, you are a beloved person. You are the object of God's love and care. So if you're sitting there today going, man, oh man, do I ever feel uh, convicted? Well, Good. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Allow what we've seen here to enable you to say, "Hey, what is my stance before God? Am am I satisfied with Jesus Christ? Is that my satisfaction, or am I not realizing it, living for the for the praises and and uh, um, you know uh, of men?" Um, uh, Watch over your heart. But once you see it, don't be condemned. That's the exact opposite of being satisfied with Christ. See it and let you realize, whoa, as a, as a doctor looks at symptoms, allow that symptom to, to, to wake you up that you might go, wow, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with Christ. So what do you do? Four things. One, begin by realizing it's serious not to be satisfied with Christ. Jeremiah two thirteen, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, To a few hew for themselves, sisters, broken sisters that can hold no water. So so it's not good. So you go, man, I'm not being satisfied with Christ. That's not a good thing, which means you take it serious. You don't go, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just a little anger. Everyone gets angry. I wasn't really mad. I was just a little perturbed, right? Change our words. Brothers and sisters, it's a serious thing. A serious thing. So one, take it seriously. Secondly, understand that all of us are going to be susceptible to this sin. All of us. Moses walked with God for 40 years. 40 years. And he did this after 40 years. Our text says in verse 6 that Moses and Aaron had just left the Shekinah glory of God. And then they went and did what they did. Brothers and sisters, if if Moses can be in the presence of the Shekinah glory of God, having walked with God for 40 years, and commit this error, this sin, what do you suppose you and I are going to do in our lives on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? All the time. So one, recognize it's serious. But two, brothers and sisters, this is not uh, the unforgivable sin. This is sin that you and I are all going to struggle with. Why? Because we're so performance-based. So thirdly, confess your sin. 1 John one nine: if we confess our sins, He'll cleanse us. He'll forgive us. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that if you go to God this day and say, Lord... I look at uh, clearly a life, I don't know, I don't see it. I'm not purposely living for the praises of my spouse or my parents or my kids, but evidently I am because I get so offended so quickly. Go to God, Lord, show me, show me Christ. Let me see my Savior more that I would be more satisfied with Christ. Open my eyes, brothers and sisters, confess your sin. Pray that God would give you Christ, more of Christ, and he will, he will answer that prayer. And then lastly, understand what ultimately is up for grabs when you and I engage in this sin. When you and I are not not satisfied with Christ, ultimately understand what's up for grabs. Listen to Numbers uh, 20, verse 12. We're going to close with this. Numbers 20, verse 12. We read these words. Because you have not believed me, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, this is God, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Now you hear that and you go, whoa, that's condemnation. That's not condemnation. Moses didn't lose his salvation. He didn't lose God's pleasure. He didn't lose God's blessing. He didn't lose any of that. What did he lose? He lost the privilege Of the promised land. What's the promised land? The place where God would manifest himself to his people. In in a most glorious way. More so than in the wilderness. What did he lose? He lost fellowship with Christ. I don't mean positionally. Practically. He lost his intimacy With Christ, the promised land is the intimacy uh, on steroids of being with with God, where God would lead His people with with milk, honey, on and on and on. What did He lose? He didn't forfeit His salvation. He lost intimacy with Christ. Do you see it? That's what He lost. So, what did He lose ultimately? What What ultimately is up for grabs when you you and I are not satisfied with Christ? What's up uh, for grabs? being satisfied with christ intimacy with your lord you see it builds on one another the more you feast upon christ guess what happens the more you feast upon christ now what is your and i greatest desire in life what is it it's to glorify god that's what we're made for and what enjoy him do you understand what you're missing when you're not satisfied with christ you're missing the glory of fellowshipping with your savior and you said I want that. So pray for it. Let so so the next time you go man anger came out, don't down downplay it. oh it's a small things. It wasn't angry. It was just a little bit of being ag- I was just agitated. I wasn't angry. We we use a lot of euphemisms to tell people we're not angry. It was I was agitated. I was perturbed. I was just a little a little bothered. No, you were angry. And when that's the fruit of your life as a minister, unless it's for righteous causes, that's a testimony to you. You're not being satisfied with, with Christ. And brothers and sisters, if you engage in that sin, if you indulge that sin, if you like that sin, I'm right to be angry at my spouse. I'm going to stay being a- angry. Brothers and sisters, if that's you, what you're costing is intimacy with your Savior. So, so, so God says, Moses, you just cost intimacy. Brothers and sisters, Let's be a people who recognize, man, if this is my area that I'm struggling with this day, Lord, clearly I'm not, I'm not being satisfied, then as a summary. One, it's serious. Two, um, we're all susceptible, so I'm not something weird. I'm not a weird Christian. That's what all of us struggle with. I'm one of you. Thirdly, confess your sin. And Fourthly, let the desire to fellowship with Christ drive you to confess your anger. Drive you to to forgive your spouse. Drive you to continue in ministry. Drive you to say, no matter what happens, I will be faithful unto you, Lord. Rather than allowing the horizontal to stop you from all these things. Allow Christ's satisfaction to make you more satisfied and more satisfied and more satisfied. That's the glory of the gospel. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Let's pray together. Father, we look at this passage and no doubt there's so many things I've missed here. But what a wonderful passage is it not only tells us what Moses did, but but shows us why he did it. And Lord, what a glorious um, passage for us as we as we read this and our ourselves recognizing that, Lord, we all find ourselves doing this. This is part and parcel of our sinfulness. But, Lord, thank you that you give us this beautiful passage that, that enables us to see um, how, we can, how we can live and move and have our being, how we can stay in, in ministry, in hostile environment, in a difficult ministry, and keep on ministering without burning out, without sinning out. Lord, we need only to look to you, to continue to look to you, that you would be our all in all. That Lord, we would with Moses say, God, show me Your glory, and that You and Your grace would show us more of Your love, of Your tender mercies, of Your holiness mingled with Your grace and Your love. Lord, we pray, show us Your glory, mold and shape us that we would be a people whose delight would be You, that we would delight ourselves in You, that we would say with Asaph, Whom am I in heaven but Thee, and and besides Thee I desire nothing on earth. Lord, give us that grace to be that people, and where we fail. Give us the grace to quickly confess um, as we seek refreshment in you, knowing your uh, forgiveness. And may that be the delight of our hearts and our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the table of the Lord.